You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi. This is Mike Barron, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is... Punisher episode 2B, picking up right where we left off of the last episode, which is following the Punisher epic collection number two, Circle of Blood. Uh, This is a period of Punisher from 1988. Uh, I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm Chris Marshall, your Punisher co-host. Yeah, so we didn't get to finish this epic collection in our last episode. Uh, I noticed that it was going to run on for quite a long time, so I decided to put an end to it right after the the, the last issue drawn by Klaus Janssen. So what are we going to be talking about in this episode, Chris? So in this episode, we are going to go into issues 6 through 10, plus the Daredevil number 257, which was kind of a pseudo-crossover with Punisher number 10. And then also the Marvel graphic novel Punisher Assassin's Guild, which is number 40, if you're keeping track of the numbering there. And we have a special guest joining us later in this episode, so stay tuned for that. That's just a little tease. You'll have to listen to find out who that is. And yeah, is there anything we need to know before we jump into the issues? Any storylines? I guess um, I would say that we just met Micro in this last storyline, Microchip. Yeah, so that that would be about it, and and Frank is continuing his war on crime. But yeah, Microchip and his son are probably the only two characters we need to concern ourselves at this point. What I love about these stories is that they are one-and-done single issues or two-parters. Two-parters, really two-parters in this, yeah. There isn't really even any subplots or like B or C plots that are carried through uh, because that's something that was fairly standard with you know, Anna Senti was writing Daredevil at the time and, you know, the stuff that was happening in Spider-Man. They all had these threads that carried through the storylines, but not in Punisher. Right. The only thing that would be carrying along is, uh, you know, we saw an issue number one or number issue two that uh, Frank mentions the trust, which was, you know, his enemy group in uh, the miniseries. And then he blows his battle van gets blown up. And uh, in a, a few more issues down the road, and he kind of references that, or, you know, when uh, when he says that microchip is going to have his head for blowing up another battle van. So, you know, not really a whole lot of continuity, but it kind of does move the story along a little bit. Right. So, yeah, but that's about it. It's minor yeah. stuff. So, yeah. So feel free to pick up this epic collection and jump into issue number six right away. Uh, actually, no, you should probably go back to the beginning. But uh, <laughs> but if you do want to jump into issue number six, totally fine. Uh, you will be able to, to jump in and you won't get lost because he's just being the Punisher, just as he always is. <laughs> so why don't we start with issue number six? And we have a new penciler, yeah. actually. Who is this? So 
The script is by Mike Barron. Our pencils are David Ross, who I'm really not that familiar with. Our inks are um, from Kevin Nolan. Our colors are John Wellington. And the letters are Ken Bruzenak. And uh, I'll, I'll mention, I don't mention letterers a whole often, uh, but uh, or, or the pencils, but going in from six to seven, and we'll kind of cover this, things change a little bit, even though it's the same creative team. And I've got questions for you on that, uh, Curtis. Okay. So, um, but uh, to start off this, it has got a wonderful cover by Mike Mignola. Yeah. Uh, I just love this cover. I'm a big Mignola fan. Uh, I've always liked Hellboy. I've always liked his work. Uh, and here, this is some of his most, you know, earliest work that he has ever done is this Punisher number six. And uh, you, it just has Frank with a gas mask on with an Uzi uh, going through like a nuclear waste dump with a skeleton uh, just, you know, lying there. And uh, yeah. it looks to me like Frank is in big trouble. Uh, and uh, you wonder what, you know, danger, hazardous waste is like what, you know, this is an interesting cover because it's nothing to do with the mob relate. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, no mob, no Nazis, no, no, nothing. We don't know what's going on with Frank other than he is in a nuclear waste. So, you know, this is, this is pretty cool stuff right here and a full moon in the background, but I love this, uh, from, uh, from Mignola. So it's, and it fits his style of the grim, the grim covers and the grim artwork that he does. So I don't even think we find out about the bodies in the toxic waste in this issue. I think it's the next issue. Well, there are bodies in this. So well, there um, are lots of bodies, but are they the ones? No, but even, even to start, even to start off. So let's, let's kind of get into it. Um, so Frank is just, uh, you know, he, he's back from issue five and he's just resting in his bed in a Jersey and where uh, a warehouse in New Jersey somewhere. And he gets woken up by a garbage truck. And of course, you know, he's got a, he's, you know, all shirtless, but then he gets up and he gets dressed into his Punisher uniform to figure out what's going on. And there is, he, he finds bodies in the back of this garbage truck. And, uh, even the name of the, uh, of the story in here is called garbage with a big blood splatter over yeah. the letters, which is hilarious. It's such a gruesome scene because you can just imagine the compactor inside the garbage truck. It is just mangling these bodies. There's a lot of blood on this page, on the splash page. You got the blood coming from the bodies in the garbage truck, and then blood uh, on the lettering where it says "garbage." Stanley presents garbage, and then <laughs> and then Stanley blood all garbage. over the front seat and the steering uh, wheel. There is blood every and the steering wheel. It's just everywhere. So yeah. that's a. That's quite the splash page right there. Splash to blood, we should say. So <laughs> Yes. And then what's interesting here is you kind of don't even see it, um, but hanging out of the garbage truck is this flyer for the Liberty Bell celebration, which is on uh, October 30th, Monday, in Philadelphia, which comes into play. Um, but you really just skip right over that. It's one of those minute details that you I had to go back and look. Um, when I was rereading this, I'm like, oh, there's there's the flyer for it. So, well, it's, uh, it, I think it's because a lot of uh, artists will put little in jokes on scrap pieces of paper yeah. in alleys or on the walls or whatever. So, oftentimes, I don't even pay attention to them. No, no, but um, it's it's you know the more it's funny you bring that up because I am more of a or when it comes to the comics, I'm more of a reader than I am uh, looking at the artwork. Yeah. So I'll I will always look at see how things are laid out. For a lettering lettering perspective, the word balloons, um, the descriptions of what's going on. Whereas um, when I do my podcast with Andy, I click the comics library. Andy's more of the artist, 
So he looks at the arts, the backgrounds, the coloring, the inking, um, the tones. And so that makes for a really interesting conversation. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, but I've become more of an, uh, an art aficionado, especially when it comes to Mignola stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the name of this garbage truck, uh, he goes back to the lair uh, with uh, f- with Microchip and Microchip Junior to find out, you know, what's going on. And the the best place to start is who owns this garbage company, and uh, you know what can they kind of decipher for it. And it turns out that um, there is a uh, a garbage dump, hence the title of the. Uh, episode here garbage that frank wants to go investigate and there are uh dogs around it and he just wants to figure out you know what's going on what why are there dead bodies in this and he seems like this is the uh, the perfect place to start out of this landfill in in uh new jersey somewhere uh so and then he gets his to get into the compound uh he gets his dart gun out and we, we talked about it on previous episodes uh he uses the dart gun on uh, these Poor dogs. <laughs> yeah. But he, he does infiltrate it, and he does find out that there's some kind of mob family going on, and we're really not quite sure what their end game is. Other than that, they want to control a lot of sanitation in <laughs> New Jersey. It's a, it's a really <laughs> odd start. I know if I were an aspiring mob boss, I would go after sanitation. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of the in joke, right? You know, you know whether it's Goodfellas, what do, what's your what do you do for a living? I'm in construction, right? Yeah. I'm in I'm in waste disposal. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like that kind of thing. Yeah. So all Frank knows is that something else is going on, and right when he tries to infiltrate it, these one guy with a gun goes after him. But Frank, uh, he throws a knife right in the guy's throat, which is uh, interesting to see. And more guys with Uzis come out, so something's going on here. And then he finds that, the, you know, the books are not right. There's a lot of cash lying around. And he, you know, he just has to figure out what's going on here. He goes back to Microchip Manor. I love that name, Microchip Manor. Uh, <laughs> to talk with Frank Jr. about what's going on. And then he actually goes back to, an, uh, I, I, I think this is a separate dump, though. Isn't it, Curtis? Goes into... Yeah, maybe. They really kind of didn't make that distinction. Um, as I'm looking at it right now, maybe it is a separate I think it, place. Well, dogs aren't there. Yeah. I think it could be different. He goes different. back in there and, yeah, no, yeah, I think this is a different place because he goes into the building yeah. and makes different comments about the entryway being filled, filled with toxic waste and uh, he's it. obviously okay. never been there before. Yeah. Got it. Uh, yeah, the outside looked similar, though, with the high fence and, and everything, too. That's, um, yeah, typical of a garbage dump, probably. Yeah, so, you know, here is where we see the toxic dump on the on the ground and the skull. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. I thought that was in the next issue, but it's in this one. Yeah, uh, so he comes across some, it looks like Middle Eastern agents uh, walking around, which, you know, when you first see these henchmen or bad guys, you wonder, why this is kind of weird that it goes from a sanitation and a mob play to what are these strange characters from the Middle East with the one guy's wearing a fez, one guy's wearing a turban. Uh, what are they doing in the middle of a sanitation dump in Jersey kind of thing? Yeah. There's obviously more than meets the eye here. There is a lot going on. So Frank, uh, again, gets his dart gun out and a uh, blow dart and he hits another guy. So, uh, you know, he's, he's two for two with the blow dart in a matter of a few pages. And, uh, these guys are looking to, to do some bad, uh, and 
you know, Frank kind of blows in the door before we actually find out what the deal is, other than there's plutonium involved. So there is something really big at play here. We don't know what the plutonium is for. If it's, you know, when you first read it, I, w I was thinking that maybe they're trying to sell the plutonium to, uh, you know, just the Middle East, like a bad Middle Eastern country or something like that. But as we come to find out after a big gunfight and Frank uh, works his way through the hallway, that um, it harkens back to what we saw on the flyer in, in page one is that there is going to be some kind of terrorist attempt in Philadelphia coming up on uh, October 30th. And uh, he even finds a rocket launcher. And uh, these guys are going to get after, get after Frank. And uh, it's funny, he was going to blow the place up with the rocket launcher. Uh, but then these guys and a bunch of four Jeeps are headed his way. Uh, so he's got to get out of there. And then, you know, just kind of a, a tease into issue seven, we find out there are you know, nuclear terrorists over Times Square. So I thought it was Philadelphia. There, No, it is Times Square. So that was kind of maybe they switched that up for some reason. Oh, the Liberty Bell cel celebration in Times Square. Oh, it is in Philadelphia. Maybe they switched that up. That could be a typo. Well, the cover of issue number seven really distinctly says nuclear terrorists over Times Square. Correct. So I wonder if um, it starts, yeah, it must start in Philadelphia and then move over. It does. It starts. It does start in Philadelphia. Yeah, if they want to go over to a highly populated area, the, the Times Square is a much better option than the Liberty Bell. <laughs> yes, my, yeah. So it, there is some play in in Philadelphia. So let's stick with issue six for right now. So what are your what are your initial thoughts on on what we saw? Um, I like this issue a lot. I thought it was a great uh, great mystery. And like you were saying throughout here, is like you you don't know what's going on, and you're just as clueless as Frank is. And because you get everything from Frank's perspective, perspective, uh, you mm -hmm. only uncover the clues as Frank uncovers them. Cause sometimes you get like, if you're, if you're reading a story, you'll see the secret conversations that the villains are having that the, our hero is not privy to, but that's not the case in this one. We literally only know what Frank knows. So I like mm -hmm. that. I like that form of writing. The art is nice too. Uh, I find the Luke Ross is a little stiff at times with some of his, his action sequences and such, but uh, um, he still does a good job of storytelling. And Kevin Nolan's inks are, this must be pretty early in his career, I think. Mm -hmm. I believe so, yeah. Because his inks are not consistent throughout this book. There are some times, like if you go to page um, 273, which has Punisher trying to escape this compound, and he's like got two guns in his hands, and he's throwing grenades or whatever. Some of this is very sparsely inked. Yeah. Like that panel at the top with Punisher pointing his guns in different directions. And then if you turn the page to 74, there's the middle panel with the guy in the foreground and the shading is just he's in, he's really heavily rendered. Yeah. And that that is a very distinctive Kevin Nolan inking style right there. Uh if you look at some of his um, if you've been collecting the epic collections, uh, the Defenders epic collections, and you have the one for the new Defenders, uh, where there's a great team shot on of their heads on the front cover, you can see his inking style matches what he's done in that panel there, um, which he doesn't do in every panel of this of this issue here. So I think he's still figuring himself out. 
I really like the non-action sequences. So like the panel on, um, it's kind of a, a, like a, I don't know, starting on page 262 with Frank holding the knife and the guy comes up behind him with the gun. I love that look of Frank and just the shadows over his face. Again, on, on 264 with his hand on the, I believe it's a radio or um, the Geiger counter. Yep. Uh, and then even on 266 with him uh, jumping onto the uh, the garbage pit and him walking up the garbage pit and him looking over uh, into at the building, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like that. I, I just think that's fantastic stuff. And even yeah. with his hand on the skull, you only see half of his face. And I just I think that's really, really cool. But then you right, you turn the page and you get this bright green room <laughs> with <laughs> with, you know, not much backgrounds going on at all. So there is, it is kind of a, an interesting, uh, interesting. You know, mix, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, going to say, though, that the the colors we while we have switched pencilers, um, the colorist is different because Klaus Janssen was actually doing the colors for all of his issues, right. his own, his own colors. And for this issue, we now have um, a separate colorist um, and he keeps, he keeps the colors consistent. Um, the, the, that green room, green and pink room that you were talking about is actually, those are color choices that Klaus Janssen was making in his books as well. So right. it's not unusual. Uh, I, I found that it was, reading this book, it wasn't jarring to have the change of artist. I mean, a little bit jarring for sure, because they're, they're very different styles. But the fact that the colorist tried to mimic some of the colors from previous issues meant that there was a consistency through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I also really like about Mike Barron's writing, which I don't think I noticed up until this issue, is that when Punisher goes into action, he stops thinking. And so we get a lot of dialogue right. as he's approaching the building, as he's inside the building. There's all of these bu- these uh, text boxes that are Punisher's internal thoughts. But then once the action starts, there are no more text boxes. He Because, you know, with Spider-Man, he's making remarks or he's thinking of his strategy or whatever. Uh, Punisher's not like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is a little... Uh, now that I'm looking at it, I think I have some bad examples, but... Um, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking primarily of, uh, if you go to page 276 and he's about to fight his way out of the compound, once he starts throwing yeah. grenades and the bombs, like there's very, very little text going on. Uh, and it's, it's more focused on the, the action, which I think shows us that Punisher does a lot of this stuff instinctively. Like he's so, mm-hmm. he's so used to, to knowing how to, um, to control the the scenario that he doesn't even have to think about it. Yeah, no doubt. You're you're dead on there. So, I like Quiet Frank more than Loud Frank. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it suits his character. That, and that's yeah. one of the things about um the Punisher Netflix series. Is that John Barenthal when he's Punisher, he's always yelling his low growly yeah, whatever he's fighting. Right? <laughs> he's he's not silent very often. Right. Unlike the Dolph Lundgren movie, when Dolph barely spoke at all in that Punisher movie. Right. <laughs> granted, granted, a very different Punisher, but, you very. know, Dolph didn't speak, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's go on to issue number seven. 
This issue is called Wild Rose, which is a reference to a rose that Punisher found in the middle of the, the dump. Correct. I should have mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of been on his mind throughout. Like, why is there this wild rose that's uh, growing in the middle of all this toxic waste? So anyway, uh, Punisher is contacted by this woman who happens to have the name Rose. It's all, it's all, it all, it's all connected. Uh, and she apparently is um, a part of a, not an FBI, it's not the FBI or CIA or anything. It's a, it's an independent group that's trying to stop this, these Israeli terrorists. What are they called? The Mossad. Oh, the Mossad. Yeah. I'm not familiar with Mossad. Um, is this a real organization? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see here. So they team up and they find out that <laughs> this is a ridiculous plot. Um, the, the bad guy, he's stolen the plutonium so he can raise it. High, and he's bought out a building and has created this huge high rise that's under construction specifically so that he can dangle his plutonium above a large crowd and spread sprinkle plutonium flakes on everybody so that everyone will get radiation poisoning and die <laughs> it's just it's it's so funny how extreme it is um but punisher figures it out and between him and rose they take out all of the the, the bad guys and the culprits and and do their thing um i'm not sure do you know what the motivation be- behind the villain here is because i forget I- I couldn't. I couldn't figure that out. Yeah. No. I think they just want to do it just to do it. Yeah. You know, there's no real. It's it's almost akin to, and dare I say, it's almost like a nine eleven. They just want to do it. They just want to do you it. Know, yeah. And, yeah. So that could be. It's very eerie when you think about that. So. So yeah, I think the the biggest thing about this one is at the end of the issue, Rose ends up dying which isn't a huge loss because we just met her. It isn't lost to the, the overall story of Frank, but he feels it at the end. Um, yeah. And and has this moment. It ends, it's it's a very sudden ending. The very last panel is, it, we only get one panel of wrap-up. And it's right, Frank exactly. sort of reminiscing. He's got this um, big face superimposed in the background. And he just says, that he's left with a garbage referring to the way he feels and everything mm-hmm. that's uh, going on with Rose. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a nice ending. The only thing I was shaky about was the motivation behind the plot. Uh, what did you think of the art in this issue compared to the last issue and the lettering? Um, the art was different. It is a different inker. It's John Beatty doing the inking instead of Kevin R- Nolan. Right, John B. Right, but there's something just off about this, you know. If we look on like the pages, starting on page 284 all the way through, when they're in Philadelphia, um, really to the end of the issue, 289, it just it seems like a completely different artist on this. Yeah, so that shows you the power of a of of inking styles. John Beatty yeah. definitely has a heavy hand in his inking, and if you so John Beatty's the same guy that inked the Punisher limited series. Yeah, exactly. And, and it has a lot more of a slick feel to it than Kevin Nolan's m- more rough kind of inking. And we commented on the, on the, on the lack of backgrounds in, in that series. So. Right. Yeah. So you can see, I think you can see Beatty's influence on the pencils in this issue for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's the same 
even though it's the same penciler. Um, I didn't notice anything about the lettering. What did you notice? The lettering is, it's more of, you know, italicized or on a slant in all the other issues. Here, they are more upright. Um, you know, if you take a look, if you compare like letters uh, Y or R or S or T, they are all straight up and down, almost like a block lettering. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it's it's much different. And I, I couldn't figure out why. Um, but, I you know, I, that's one of the things I noticed. Like I, like I said, I alluded to earlier, I, I, I'm more of a reader. Um, and I, I picked that up right away that the lettering was, were, was different. Definitely so. is a different lettering because the Y is is drawn completely different. The Y in the last issue is, you know, you draw one stroke down and then you have the smaller stroke that intersects in the middle. In the middle. Right. Whereas the Y in this issue is, you know, the little V with the, the line coming out of the, the corner of the V going down. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so that's definitely a different person writing this. But it still is Ken Bruzenek. Bruzenek. And I even, I even looked up on... Uh comic book db to see if there was a correction on on this page uh, or this issue in, in that because you know that that community does a really good job uh and both on comics.org as well and both uh both websites have this listed as ken bruzenek so uh but the, the style is completely different and it it reverts i mean um the letterer changes uh to the next issue uh, on punisher number eight but uh but it's just not consistent with with uh, issue six to seven, and I don't know why that is. So very strange. I should have had to ask yeah. you uh, that question much earlier. <laughs> no, it is definitely a different hand. In fact, it looks like Tom, um, what's his name, Orzechowski, who's the letterer from the next issue. It's consistent. With well, he the does next the next issue. issue. Yeah. yeah, it could. It even even that looks a little bit different, though. I mean, yeah. I guess it's you know, I don't know. It's more similar, though, that's for sure. Yeah, it definitely changes back in issue nine. Changes back? Oh, okay. Huh. Changes back to the, the, you know, the what we were reading in issues one through uh, one through five. You're right, it does. And that one's Ken Bruzenek. Yeah, so very, very strange. So I don't know. I don't know either. Um, yeah. I wonder if, um, I know that a lot of artists and even like Richard Starkings and stuff, like he gets the credit, but he'll hire assistants to help them out. Could be. And I wonder yeah. if um, letterers do the same thing. I, I have no idea if they do, but it could be that, uh, you know, especially with letterers, they do dozens of books a month. Um, oh, Chris Eliopoulos is the, you know, he does a, a million of them. Yeah. So, so yeah. it could be that maybe he has some assistants, so a team of people mm-hmm. that he works with so that, that he get. can get all of his work done that he hires and so this is the hand of one of his assistants it's possible i have no idea yeah and i don't want to say it diminishes the story in any way it doesn't it's just something that that you would notice if you're reading this book no i love diving deep into that kind of stuff and uh and yeah no i i thought this i thought these two issues were were top notch um i really in fact they're better than the next two we're gonna read in my opinion oh yeah Okay, well, uh, yeah, well, let's carry on to issue number eight. Why did you take it? Yeah, so number eight, uh, we're, we have a new, it's still Mike Barron. Uh, we are on with uh, Will's Potashio, or Will Potashio, and then inks by Scott Williams, colorist by John Wellington, and letters by T- Tom Orachowski, Orachowski. And this, this we kind of get into, not to, just to tease it out, 
it gets to be a really heavy story when we get to uh, the second part yeah. in issue nine. But um, but really right now, uh, there this is a Wall Street story. And it's kind of interesting, you know, we see Frank go from different problem to different problem. And this one is really straight out of movies and TV at that time uh, when Wall Street was out in the theaters when the Billionaire Boys Club TV movie was out with Judd Nelson from Breakfast Club fame. Uh, so it's all about these these young, rich, Wall Street preppy guys, and Frank gets into the middle of it. In fact, um, so much so that the the gang, the gang of two here, is they call themselves the Billionaire Boys Club, which is kind of funny. I don't know if there's any copyright infringement on that with, with between DC Comics and NBC at the time or a publisher uh, but we have that going on. But really, uh, Frank uh, wants to find out about this billionaire boys club. And he meets up with his limited or uh, this uh, homeless guy who uh, named Quentin O'Toole. Um, and uh, the name of the, the guy, their protagonist is Arnold Anson and his billionaire boys club. And in, in return, uh Frank wants to look into a string of homeless murders. So we have we have two stories going on. We have Frank looking into the billionaires, and then on the street level, we have uh, these homeless guys getting murdered. Frank begins to uncover uh, the stock market manipulations and buying and selling and trading and insider information. It's it's pretty all pretty standard stuff here when it comes to Wall Street and Ponzi schemes and and that sort of thing. They're just kind of making money on their own stock tips in a way. He, you know, it's kind of like his own little, uh, his club that he's got going on, uh, just like I said, manipulating the system. And he, he's even working uh, with the Japanese as like their their uh, muscle, in a way. It kind of runs in the next. I mean, it, the story abruptly ends with um, with you. We see the uh, the homeless murders that these guys are also also responsible for the homeless murders, which is a kind of interesting plot twist. Uh, that they're all kind of in on it together in a yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the yeah the guy who's committing the murders is like a early twenty something guy that got that inherited the family stock trading business at a young age, but doesn't really care about it. But does these murders because it makes him feel alive or something like that? And yeah, he's a serial killer. Yeah. 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 For sure. And that's what like I found this to be very strange that Punisher would care about insider trading because it's not the same as drugs right yeah it, it was just an it was just an odd story to begin with and then i think the pun the murder was in there to give this more of a punisher kind of a feel yeah and i feel bad because the informant his uh buddy quentin O'Teal tool really gets it um yeah at the end it's murdered so it's really yeah uh, not good to see it was too bad because Frank kind of gave him the brush off when he was talking about looking into the murders at the very mm -hmm. beginning of this issue. Um, he kind of just said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I'll look into it, but didn't really think anything of it. Um, and then he goes after these rich guys. Um, the art is a huge step up in this yes. issue. I love Wills Portacio's art on here and we're talking about backgrounds like there's some amazing backgrounds that he just spends so much time on the, the cityscapes and and the details the 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 plant life and, and everything really really great 
So I liked also learning a little bit more about Microchip Jr. in this one because he gets to go along on some of these mm-hmm. missions and, uh, and, and play a fairly important role. He saves Frank's life at one point and gets beat up for it. Um, but uh, yeah, they're coming into play a little bit more. And uh, uh, yeah, this was, this was, it still was entertaining. I still, even though it was different, I still liked the mystery around it and, um, and wondered what was going on. And when we get to this next issue, uh, it just, uh, it goes into some really odd places. So yeah, what's interesting here is, you know, in contrast to what we just talked about with, with Frank going into uh, what appears to be a, a mob uh, sanitation play into, uh, you know, a plutonium bomb going off in a, in a major city. Here we have kind of both um, a similar thing. You know, we, we start out with one thing and then it kind of slowly goes into uh, the second thing with the homeless murders. Uh, which is kind of interesting. So they're kind of keeping that, you know, twist, I guess, or two two things going on at once, I guess. So or you know, dual dual situations here. One of the uh, one of the common threads that Mike Barron also uses is how the United the corrupt United States, or sorry, the corrupt side of the United States has ties to international markets of all over the world. So we've already you know seen Bolivia. And um, and then in this one, or in the last story, it was some Arab nation that I don't think they mentioned my name. Yeah. And in this one, it's Japan. Yes. And yeah, and so why don't we get into the next issue here? The ne- this is issue number nine. It's called Insider Trading. Very apropos. Yeah, uh, in more than one way because they he's going after these billionaires that are doing insider trading, but then he's also going to be doing some trading of his own in this issue because he kidnaps the main Japanese guy that is work, working with these these American billionaires, stock market guys. And what's his name? Mr. Takagura. Ta- Takagura, yes. So Takagura actually spills the beans and tells Punisher everything he wants to know so Punisher can go into, uh, you know, get, get the people he wants to get. And he arranges a deal and is going to trade um, Takagura for another guy uh roki the the young boy roki who is the billionaire boys club guy yeah mm-hmm. um the one who's doing all the killing yes and i don't know where there's a ninja that comes in and starts uh, hacking at uh, and fighting uh punisher and they have a big battle and um roki gets killed in in the meantime and uh there's just a it, it's a very interesting end because uh, and to this story because it, it comes down to a showdown between Punisher and the the other billionaire boy guy, Takagura, the guy is about to kill Mr. Hansen. Um, what was his name? Anton Hansen? Hansen? Anton. Anton Hansen, yeah. Hansen. Or Hansen. Hansen. And, uh, Arnold Hansen, yeah. But he, he says he has too much. Um, he says that um, Punisher is the honorable man and will do the killing instead. And then Punisher kills Takagura instead, like slits yeah. his throat. That's a pretty wicked scene. Yeah. yeah. And then gives a gun to Hansen and tells himself he should kill himself if he, if he, unless he wants to go to jail. And so, of course, we get a big bang in the next panel indicating that he did kill himself. And so it's, it's just a weird end because we think that Takagura and Punisher are sort of bonding a little bit. They share similar more, a similar moral code. 
-hmm. But then we find out that the moral code is actually very, very different. And um, Takakura understands that a little too late. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you want to mention the final few pages of this of this story? Yeah, so the final page is when when both men are dead, Takagura and Hansen are dead. There are two bed, dead bodies on the ground, and we then see Frank at the top of the page uh, carrying a body, or carrying something, it, it appears to be a body, and he carries it back, and he goes back to Microchip, and it is Microchip Jr. who is uh, passed away or is murdered. Um, yeah, he was killed by the ninja. He was killed, yeah, he was killed by the ninja, so... Very, very sad. And this this whole situation with his son will have decades of material written around it. Oh, okay. Yeah, the the death and, and we'll definitely go into oh right after uh Civil War even. Uh it'll it'll go right up into uh to that era in the early two thousand mid two thousands or two thousand five, two thousand six, I believe. Yeah, it's I can't imagine we just got introduced to these characters, so it's it's uh, shocking that we get the death so soon, I think. Um, but, like, Microchip, I'm sure, would hold a lot of resentment against Frank for this. Because, and he does. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure he does. Uh, we don't see it in the rest of this book, which I was quite surprised with. They're, they really just kind of carry on business as usual. In fact, Microchip, I don't even think Microchip is in the rest of this book. No. Um, in fact, I can tell you... When, um, because he's not in the Daredevil, because the next one is the Daredevil crossover, he's not in that, and he's not in the in Assassin's Guild, the, yep. the, uh, the graphic novel. So, yeah, we don't see the fallout for this situation, um, at all. What a great, great couple of pages as well. Wills Portacio really does a, a great job of conveying the emotion with the the last three panels of this, of, of the page, the, the second to last page. Frank has the body bag in his arms, the body in yeah. his arms. And then we have these three panels of microchip turning around. They get uh, bigger and there's like scribbles in the background that kind of make it frantic. They they give give off a sense of of just not knowing what's going on. And so there's one panel of Frank hearing or of microchip hearing Frank and the background is green and then the middle panel is the the one is red and you can just yeah. feel like he's caught the the body in Frank's arms out of the corner of his eye and his heart just skips or something yeah. and that's that's the red panel right there and then you get the close up and you can see the the shadow of Punisher in his eyes it's like now you this is complete horror and you turn the page and it's a complete it's a borderless panel so and with with no background so the focus is completely on our characters here with with microchip in the background and punisher walking away yeah oh it's awful it's just so so heart-wrenching yeah and i know we kind of we kind of didn't want to spoil anything but we see microchip jr die a few pages earlier uh with the ending of the fight with the ninja that frank has so um you know microchip is is down and and uh he's got a uh, a gun in his ankle and that's how Frank kills this ninja. Yeah. So without giving too much away. So Well, yeah, I figure that if people are listening to this this podcast, they've read these issues. Yeah. Like this mm -hmm. is a pretty big spoil, but something that I think we need to talk about. Yes. Um otherwise yes. conversations if we just 
decide we're not going to spoil this, conversations down the road are going to be awfully confusing. So, right. <laughs> yeah. They are, they are 30 years old, too. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. you know, before this book, I didn't even know that Microchip had a son. So, oh, um, interesting. Yep. I okay. had no idea because yeah. I'm just not familiar with Punisher. I, of course, know who Microchip is. And I know Microchip yeah. has a child in the Netflix show, but that's not yes. exactly the same thing. Yeah, very different. So in this issue on page 337, Mike Barron uses the line uh, in the middle panel, who do you think you are you are talking to, stupid Jap? Stupid Jap stooge. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just very, very outdated language that I'm actually surprised even in the 80s to see. That's like World War II racist yeah. language, right? Exactly, and yep. then in one of the first, in one of the earlier issues, he refers to uh, it was the it was the one with the Rev, and you know, Punisher the Reverend has this bodyguard who's this big black guy. Um, the there's one line in there that Punisher refers to that guy as a big ape. So yeah. there are just a couple of times when I found Mike's choice of words to be a little off um, and. You know, he probably won't wouldn't do that in today's climate, um, or maybe he would. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I found it odd to to hear that. I don't think Marvel. Yeah, would let it's that go it's a days. fine it's a fine line, especially when you know there's been so many um, uh, you know Vietnam era Punisher comics uh, that have been out, whether it's the Max line or or flashbacks or you know the the Nam uh, series itself and. You occasionally hear, you know, whether it's a Sergeant Fury in, in the 1940s comics, you know, looking back at, you know, their adventures in World War II or, um, you know, the Vietnam stuff uh, when they refer to, you know, Japs or or uh, even, you know, in Vietnam, you know, gooks or something like that. It's just completely out of place. And yeah, but that's that's how they would talk. And I guess it's very racist and we certainly don't use that language now. Um, or even something that's stronger, uh, but it's a sign of the times. And I guess if you want to keep it real, that's that's what you do. Language keeps everything real. So. It, it does, but at the same time, this is we're not talking about comics t that take place in Vietnam right now. Like these ones are modern day right, stories. Right, that's true. So I w it's, right. it's it's interesting to hear them in the modern day context. I would have less of a problem hearing it in the Vietnam context or in World War II context because that actually is reflective of of its time. I mean, it doesn't make it okay, but it. like there's still yeah. Looney Tunes cartoons where you, they use that language. And, you know, yeah. you have to understand it from the, yeah, that perspective of, of the context of its era. But yeah, it was, it, it was odd for me to read them here in comics about 1988. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, one thing I really wanted to point out was yep. um, I loved the the look of the ninja. It really reminded me of uh, Frank Miller's ninja work. Oh um, yeah, in his Daredevil. So I thought that was just um, yeah. Uh, I like how it's just really, solid. Really did it's solid black. Solid black uh, with very minimal detail. Um, the only time you get more details when um, Punisher is shooting at him and the the you know the firing from the gun. Uh, it creates creates some sort of glare off off of his costume, so I thought that was kind of cool. Yep. Yeah. So I have a little clip I want to play of Mike Barron talking about Microchip Junior about 
about bringing him into the story and, you know, taking him out of the story as well. Did you always have his end planned out like from the beginning? Because it wasn't that long into the series when he when he died. No, I no, I didn't. Uh, you okay. know, I was flying by the seat of my pants in those days, and and uh, it just seemed like a good idea at the time. Because the essential question in all fiction is what happens next, and I'm sure I got to the point in the story, and I thought, well, what happens next? What will enrich the story and create more interest? And uh, so it seemed to me, well, microchip has a son. Next up is issue number ten. And for this one, I'm going to bring in special guest Adam Chapman. Hi, Adam. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And I brought you on because you are our Daredevil host, and this is the the first of a two-part uh, crossover between Punisher and Daredevil. So it's good to have you on board. Absolutely. Awesome. So let's start with this Punisher issue. Chris, can you, since you're the Punisher host, can you give us a recap? Yeah, so uh, pretty much uh, it's... We're, we're in New York City, and there is a bunch of overdoses going on with pills. Uh, people are popping these pills, and there is an overdose, and, and Frank is kind of getting in on this and uh, kind of pinpointing where exactly this is happening, and he kind of breaks it down into uh, – he's going after a, a, a drug lord uh, that he's – that it's kind of interesting, this dude working out in his apartment. This dude is – I don't know, Curtis, he's – He's a he's a pretty strong dude hanging out in his underwear lifting weights and um and he's really bothering the woman who lives next door. Well, yeah, because he's like he's dropping like two hundred pound weights just on the floor of his apartment. I don't think that that's safe. Yeah, this is not safe for kids. You know, when you when you turn the page, and even when he's uh, doing crunches, it looks like he's got no underwear on, which is pretty scary. <laughs> uh, but it looks like you know this guy is the culprit, drugging everybody, and uh, and even uh, Daredevil is getting wind of this, saying uh, he's on TV, and, and Frank sees him on TV. You know, the, the reporters are asking uh, Daredevil, you know, what do you think about this? Uh, and he's like, you know. If you're doing this, you know I'm addressing everyone who has. I'm addressing anyone who has been placing uh, cyanide-laced medicines in Queens. Please stop doing this and turn yourself in. It's like, yeah, whatever, dude. Uh, and and <laughs> I don't think that Daredevil would be on TV anyway. I, I hope Adam can address that. Uh, you know that that uh, you know he's a man of the people, I guess. Um, yeah, that's so weird. It's <laughs> yeah, it's kind of odd, you know. And what's even odder is that Frank. You know, he's kind of pinpoint this location. He goes to the Jehovah Witnesses to see if he can, you know, if somebody in the neighborhood can can point him towards, you know, what's going on with the, the drug uh, problems here. So I thought that that actually was a great idea because jo- Jehovah <laughs> Witnesses, they know everybody. They go door to door and talk everybody. to every single person. However, what is ridiculous about this is that they would actually you know, know the person who is behind this, like, oh, oh, that guy, he's just a weirdo. I think you should check him out. That's basically what they say. Yeah, yeah. And it happens to be the guy. So good idea, not a great resolution. However, Frank should consult the JWs uh, all the time because they they know everybody. <laughs> yeah, so Frank kind of gets wind uh, from the Jehovah's Witness guy that, uh, you know, he should go take a look at the... Um, where this strong guy is living and he poses a, as a plumber. And this is kind of funny. He poses as a plumber, but then the woman actually hires him to do plumbing work <laughs> yeah. um, because this, her sink is actually uh, busted up. So I thought that was kind of a, a comedic moment 
there that he actually has his work to do. And he actually solves the problem, too. He actually does it. He does. So he's, you know, he's very he's uh, resourceful. Yep. You know, yeah. <laughs> a handyman in, in more ways than one. And then he pulls his large um, gun out of his toolbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not before he stops uh, the woman from, uh, from, you know, doing her mouthwash, which... You know, who does mouthwash in the middle of the day when a strange man is in your apartment? So I don't know what's on her mind there, but uh, that, that was another comedic moment. But then he goes after uh, this uh, dude. A really good fight ensues, actually. And uh, he ends up, you know, I, I love the scene on uh, 364 of, uh, of the Punisher epic volume that, uh, you know, way he jumps out the window. I thought. Uh, the art there is just really, really cool. You can actually hear him come out of uh, of the window. Yeah, the choreography is just great in in all of this. It's, and the following Daredevil great. fight too. Yeah, so I was just going to mention that. So Frank um, catches up with him, and he's just ready to throw them throw this guy over the roof where Daredevil shows up, and uh, he throws his uh, his stick right at uh, Frank, um, dropping the guy down to the ground and. They have a little talk, um, you know, even even Daredevil says, I think we should have had this discussion years ago. Um, we know what that is in reference to those issues. Um, and sure enough, uh, they have a really nice fight on the rooftop. Seems like Frank and, and uh, Matt are always fighting on rooftops. And uh, so but what's what's classic also is the guy gets up this and he's got a gun and, and Daredevil just takes care of him with with one swing, it seems uh, and just knocks him down and uh daredevil takes him away and uh frank goes back to the house gets his toolbox and uh he basically saves her life the woman's life and uh he's got a black eye for it and it says uh see daredevil on at 257 on sale now uh for another side of the story which i think was a really ingenious way to do things yeah uh having a uh looking at two two sides of the coin kind of thing with, which is uh, really, really great to see. So there's actually a third uh, part to this, which I will tease and get to you uh, after Adam does his recap of Daredevil 257. Okay. Adam, do you want to take first thoughts? You want to give your uh, first thoughts of this issue? Well, what I really like about it is that it casts uh, Punisher in a different light that we actually see him more as a detective than just a blunt instrument, which we often see more of. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of nice to see him actually kind of figuring things out, try to you know track down this guy, posing as a federal agent. Like he's he's doing more than just what we typically see Punisher do, which is just kind of go after the bad guys. This is him actually doing detective work to actually make it happen. Yeah, that's a good point. I like how he weeds out the fact that. Um... Uh, when, when he finds out that he, it's probably a disgruntled employee, it's like he leads out all these people mm-hmm. for different reasons. He the, he even eliminates women because it's probably not going to be a woman. <laughs> um, all of that kind of stuff to find out that it's this this guy. So yeah, I think uh, I like that. I think it's really neat. As for like Daredevil, again, it's it's interesting. That it's weird that he's on TV, but otherwise, he just kind of shows up and. Uh, I feel like the Daredevil issue maybe does a, which we'll get into in a minute, maybe does a better job kind of showing that there's going to be, you know, the these two characters are going to be intertwined in some way. Whereas here, it just kind of feels like Daredevil just kind of shows up out of nowhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. the The other issue is definitely better laid out in terms of showing what Frank is doing, kind of as at the same time as what Daredevil is doing. 
but it is interesting because each one i mean there's obviously it's not just the other side of the story i feel like you kind of need both to really get the full sense of everything that's going on because there's certain daredevil things which don't come across the same in his own book um and the same thing with punisher there's some punisher stuff which doesn't come across the same way in his own you know when you have the different books they actually go a little bit further into the other character than i would have expected hmm, yeah and like even even the fight sequence between well and again we'll, i guess we'll get to it but the fight sequence between daredevil and punisher reads very differently in punisher because you get a lot of the talking and a lot of the moralizing, which you would expect Daredevil to to do to, to Frank. And yet, when you have in the actual Daredevil comic, you get a lot less of that. I would just say, do you think, Adam, that uh, that Anasetti and Mike Barron talked about that in their meetings? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I, I would imagine they would have had to. It just feels yeah. weird because I feel like Nesenti often is heavy on dialogue and heavy on moralizing and heavy on like the, the parts of Daredevil that... Daredevil's very holier than that with Punisher, and I would have thought of of either writer. I thought she would have gone harder on on uh, kind of eulogizing or like you know doing a lot of soliloquies or a lot of talking at Frank. I would have expected that more from her than Baron. Huh, interesting. Well, I have an answer to your question because I actually okay. did ask Mike Baron um, if they talked about this issue, and he said that no, he just wrote this one issue, left it in the cliffhanger, and then handed it over to her to finish it. No, I, I didn't. It was Carl who said we wanted to do a crossover with with Daredevil, and uh, he said you take lead, and then Ann will do the next volume. And, and of course, uh, that story was based on the Tylenol murderer. Oh, I'm not so familiar was, with that guy. Well, yeah, it, it was happening in Chicago in the '80s. A guy would go into drugstores and he'd open bottles of Tylenol and uh, replace the capsules with poison for who knows what reason, but a number of people died. Wow. And that, that was the inspiration for that story. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was just, yeah, it was very interesting. So the fact that Anne Nocenti decided to make the Daredevil issue um, sort of the opposite side of things was her idea because Mike Barron just set this up. Interesting. Oh. Well, why don't we move over to Daredevil number 257, um, Adam, can you uh, walk us through this one? I mean, we have the other side. So, although it's interesting because we have, you know, Punisher kind of doing the same type of thing we saw in the other one, the idea that he wants to find this aspirin killer. Then we do spend more time with Daredevil and kind of understanding there's a lot more of what's going on in Daredevil's world at this point compared to, I mean, I haven't read the other Punisher comics at the time, but I feel like his was much more kind of, it could have been read almost in any context and any, you know, sequence of issues. Whereas the Daredevil is very of the time you have uh, typhoid Mary or Mary, I should say, and uh, Kingpin. And he has his own kind of weird feelings about Mary. And uh, he's using Mary obviously to get at Daredevil, but at the same time he wants Mary for himself. It's really weird and twisted. Um, we have Daredevil in plain clothes, just doing an investigation at, at a factory, which is ludicrous. <laughs> so we have we have Daredevil doing an investigation, which doesn't really make a lot of sense that they would allow him in. But he's trying to investigate and find out, you know, who the guy is who's been lacing these drugs or who might have been laid off. And then we see a lot more of understanding, I guess, the perspective of the uh, guy who is, uh, you know, lacing everything uh, with the drugs. In fact, that he was, you know, a laid off worker. He's really kind of irritated and upset. So it definitely humanizes him a bit more, although he's still a monster. Don't worry. We're not humanizing him too much. Uh, again, a lot more with Typhoid Mary dealing with her. And then we uh, pick up uh, with Punisher about to kill a guy, which is weird to read not having read the Punisher book because you know that this guy is there. You know that this you know this drug pusher is there. And the next time you see him, Punisher already has him over his head. Like, it's just mm -hmm. like, what happened? 
Mm, yeah, but that's because we are getting things from Daredevil's perspective. Correct. Yeah. And then so then we have Daredevil versus Punisher. And again, it's interesting because there's a lot of uh, narration here from the dealer. Uh, he's commenting on what's happening and his perspective as these two guys are going at it. Uh, but you don't actually hear w- any words that Daredevil and Punisher are actually saying to each other, which is interesting. And I guess maybe part of it was that she didn't have to worry about replicating the exact dialogue beats. Instead, she was able to vaguely have it from the sense of from the point of view of this guy um, who's watching them just beat each other up, and it goes on a lot longer than in the Punisher book too. Like, it does in the Punisher yeah. book, it's relatively brief, but here it's extremely drawn out and really thrilling. Like John Romita Jr. really knows how to show these guys absolutely laying into each other. I was going to make the note that there are um, several pages through in both of these books where the dialogue is so sparse. Um, and mm-hmm. they just let uh, actually Anosenti really likes to write dialogue during the fight scene, so that's not an, uh, quite an accurate comment. But Mike Barron in the Mike in the Punisher issue, uh, the whole fight scene is almost wordless. It's not very mm-hmm. much going on there at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's and what I liked about it is because you have it from the perspective of the drug dealer is that you know he's he's about to you know shoot them and he just gets a billy club to the head and he doesn't remember anything after that which is a really nice way of not having to kind of show the ending of that whole sequence right like it's interesting like i i really am curious what people would have felt uh if they hadn't read the other issue uh if they just got this if they would have even noticed that they missed anything or just been like well that's the story they told hmm yeah that is interesting. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, if you were to read this, you wouldn't know what happens with with Punisher. You know. Yeah. How do they leave things? How they How do they leave it? You know, that's the thing. So. Especially after how knockdown drag out the fight was. Yeah, you're right. I guess you have to buy the other issue. Yeah, and then with the rest of the issue, we have more with uh, Kingpin and Typhoid Mary. Uh, also with with Matt and Mary because he's doing you know he's he's cheating on his girl at this point you know he's he's doing a lot of bad things he should be doing um, and then what, one thing I thought felt about the um, the way in which the drug dealer was illustrated he reminded me visually a little bit of the bullet character that was used in Daredevil during this period so at first I had to kind of do a, a double check to make sure it wasn't that guy and it was just this other dude I feel like he's yeah. a he's a stereotype of the eighties right there. With his mustache Very and much his long so. hair. <laughs> yeah. And what I like about this is that be, be tying in the idea of this this drug and this corporation. I mean, this is kind of what uh, Matt Murdock was doing at the time. He was helping people. He was, you know, helping. He wasn't a, a lawyer. He wasn't. Um, he had been disbarred, but he was providing kind of legal assistance with people. And that's kind of what where he was here, trying to help people. Uh, and you know, he he, he does want to help others, and this is definitely kind of drives that forth here. Well, I can just say that um, if you want a third perspective of this, which is kind of cool, in the 2012 uh, series of Punisher, number seven, there is uh, a couple of cops that witness the fight, and they give like their quick synopsis of what's going on when they see Daredevil and, and Frank fight. It's kind of like a flashback. So, uh, yeah, I think it was I think it was Greg Rucka's run um, that uh, That's right, that, that yeah. Was, uh, so that was pretty cool, you know. So some things do get used over and over and over again. So, mm-hmm. so in the back um, of the Punisher Epic Collection, there is an afterword from Ralph, Ralph Macchio, and uh, he talks a little bit about this uh, Alfred Coppersmith character in the, the Punisher Daredevil crossover. Um, he says, 
Mike Barron, who scripted uh, the issue of Punisher, and Anne Nesenti, who wrote the following Daredevil issue, are both from very different places on the political spectrum. I happened to have been the editor on Daredevil on that Daredevil issue, and I was it was truly amazed. I was truly amazed at how professional both writers were. Please go back and reread each of those outstanding stories, and I defy you to decide which writer is more attuned to the conservative or liberal point of view. Um, so I thought that was interesting too, because, yeah, would you say that Daredevil is a liberal character and Punisher is a conservative character? Uh, I mean, generally, I would say yes. I would say yes. Yeah. yeah. And so we have Mike Barron, who is a very conservative guy, uh, writing The Punisher and doing a good job. And I would say not um, pushing his own political agenda um, with with the Daredevil dialogue. And then Anna Senti does the same thing uh, with The Punisher and definitely writes in Punisher's voice, um, even though she doesn't agree with uh with those political points of view i guess Mm -hmm. i mean a a big part of that to be honest i mean not not to take anything away from the obviously the the high degree of skill that both writers have um but you do have i mean punisher and daredevil have very clear like their their moral systems generally speaking are like granite like you kind of know what they are like they're not characters who are very mutable like they are they have a very specific perspective so i feel like they're they're very yeah they're, they're very absolute so in terms of a writing perspective you don't have to get into a you know a, a sense of grays with these characters you just kind of have to understand that absolutism and i think that might be actually easier to write than writing someone who's a little bit more uh shades of gray you also have the the it's obvious that Daredevil is acting as the antagonist in the Punisher issue and Punisher is acting as the antagonist in the Daredevil issue even though it's the exact same scene mm-hmm one thing I, I, I we didn't mention uh, some of the stuff, but with uh, the Petraccio art, um, I do like that uh, Punisher just lies in his bed at night, fully garbed in his Punisher gear with his gun. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like he is not messing around. He's like, I am the Punisher. This is who I am. I, this is how I sleep. 24 <laughs> 7. He is. He's <laughs> always right. on. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. One last note. Um, the the Punisher episode is uh, the Punisher issue is titled The Creep and the Daredevil issue is titled The Bully. And throughout both of these issues, they they kinda like they play with these titles. Like who is actually the creep? Punisher calls uh the bodybuilder the creep and the 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 lady in the hall calls the Punisher the creep. Mm. And Daredevil thinks the Punisher's being the bully, but then the bully is also um, the, the corporation is the bully to the bodybuilder, and like there's just there's so much um, wordplay going on between the titles of these two issues. Oh, for sure. Well, and even you have the idea of um, uh, Mary and Typhoid Mary. She says, you know, I won't let you bully me. Um, yeah. So there's this an extra layer too, right? Like everyone in here is somehow dealing with that. Yeah, um, I was surprised that the that that this was such a, an important issue for Typhoid Mary in in this team up usually they save the big stuff for um you know when it's when they're not doing the the crossovers and stuff but this is the issue where i think mary really kind of interacts with her other self on a more more obvious level true and another thing that does strike me is that you know considering the time frame i mean this is a pretty mature two comics um I mean, you're dealing with, you know, people being poisoned 
And uh, even like the first page of the Punisher book where you have the woman gets this Zumatrin for pain relief, gets home and then you know, put some uh, pop some and then just kind of starts to die. Like that's pretty. And then their kid comes in. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Like it um, it's it's a very visceral. It is meant to evoke a reaction. But just considering the time, I'm surprised. Yeah, totally. And like even with uh, the uh, the creep in the Punisher uh, series. Um, just the the typeface with the blood kind of stripping down. That's pretty intense for the time period as well. Yeah, and that's all over the Punisher books. I know you haven't been in our conversation for the Punisher, but that's uh, definitely something that you see in <laughs> in in every Punisher issue. Interesting. Um, the one thing that it's interesting. So these issues are obviously dealing with you know pretty serious subject matter, and they take themselves seriously. Um, but the first. Uh, I guess the second page of the Daredevil issue. Um, so you have, you know, the shot of, you know, a Frank, you know, with the gun looking a little static. It's actually not the most, the most vibrant shot of the Punisher as he's just em- emptying his clip. And, but the, uh, the sound effects really are, are kind of almost too funny in the way that they're kind of larger than life. Like the Pacow, the Buddha, 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 like it almost <laughs> seems too loud. And then you have the bully in like yellow and it just seems very, I don't know, Saturday afternoon, but it's well, not. I swear, and I can't I can't place my finger on it, but I swear that that splash page is a mock-up or a parody of an old, like, 1930s gangster movie poster. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah. I can't place my finger on it, but it's so familiar. So if any okay. of you out there are listening and can can uh, tell me what that is, if, if I'm right, uh, please write in and let me know. <laughs> I, I do hope that someone says, is able to find that. Well, thank you, Adam, for joining us for these two issues. It was a blast to have you on board. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Oh, my pleasure. The last thing we need to talk about in this in this episode is the Punisher's graphic novel, Assassin's Guild, written by Joe Duffy and illustrated by Jorge Zafino with colors by Julie Mikkel. Um. And I've, it's interesting that they credit the colorist on the cover. That's not something they did at this time. Uh, that's something that you see nowadays. Right. But you never saw the colorist credited uh, on the cover in this era. Um, but it's a very different coloring style than we're, we typically get in a comic book. Mm-hmm. Wow. Where to start with this graphic novel? Uh, well, I'll... I'll yeah. start real quick with okay. a little chronology. Sure. So I know we're all about chronology, us comic book geeks and everything. And where where to actually put this in the chronology? Well, we know here in the epic that it comes after Punisher number 10. But in many instances online, it comes after Punisher number 7, uh, between number 7 and um, number 8. So I just wanted to get that in there. But really, it makes no real difference to me. But, uh, you know, here we have it. So, Is there a specific reason why they put it between those issues? There is none. So I, I, look at, um, I look at the Marvel Handbook, the official Marvel Index, and then a couple other sites where I follow the Punisher chronology. And, you know, you always see like an annual here and an annual there or something like that, you know, out of place. Uh, but for some reason, I, I see it being placed uh, right this book right after number seven. I don't know if it has to do something with uh, where Frank is in New York City or something like that. Um, I, I don't know. There's really no explanation. So there's there's no reference in the in the graphic novel of any prior events or anything like that. 
Could it be based on the month of the year that it was released? It could be. That could be it too. Yeah. Yeah, because it, so. it could have come out. It doesn't give a date in the table yeah. of contents on in this epic collection. It only lists the year. But I know that for the epics, graphic novels, they always either put them at the beginning or at the end. Yeah. They have never stuck one right in the middle. So, you know, even if it's actually, you know, chronologically, according to release date, comes out in the middle, they've, they've yeah. pushed it to the end. So that's that's the, I guess that's a discrepancy that Marvel has on itself, right? In in the official Marvel handbook, it comes after number seven. Right. In the epic collection, it comes after number 10. So, okay. you know, who cares? You know, <laughs> but I just thought, you know, I, I know that there are people out there like, oh, where does this actually fit? So yeah. we could, could fit in either. So take your choice. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Microchip Junior appeared in here, that would be a completely now, that different would be, story. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this story uh, is really. This was a fantastic story. Sixty-two pages. Oh yeah. man, and what a what a difference sixty-two pages can can do. Um, it's more than two issues. Mm-hmm. You don't have to split your story in half into two distinct parts or anything like that. Uh, right. Joe Duffy does an amazing job with this story. So there are two groups of people that we need to know about in this. There's a an assassin's guild which is it operates out of a Chinese restaurant. People can come and pay money in this Chinese restaurant to have someone assassinated. Which Frank has been looking for for some time. Yes, yeah, and he's never yeah. quite been able to find out where their base of operations is. And then there's another group called the Favors Network. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the Favors Network. It's it's a yeah, a bunch of rich people who you can pay money to these lawyers and they will yeah, they'll they'll cover up your crime. Um but they're handlers, they're fixers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. they're fixers. They fix problems, but at the yeah. same time they make things uncomfortable for you as well and they'll end up, you know, owning you or controlling you in some sort of way. They've got yeah, you know, they've got you. dirt on yeah. you now. So the the whole mess, Punisher kind of gets caught up in the middle of these things because Assassin's Guild is hired to take out the the top guy in the Favors Network. Mm-hmm. And Punisher has a dilemma. He finds out about the Guild, but does he work with the Guild to take out the bigger threat? Or does he take out the Guild, even though he knows that he can't get to the Favors Network without without their help? So he kind of he works with the guild and primarily with this one woman and her little partner who looks like a I think he's a teenager. And the three of them are an amazing formidable force. They have they they have so many different skills that work really well together and come up with this amazing plan to infiltrate to find out how to infiltrate the building and then actually infiltrate the building. Yeah. Really really great tension and great scenes i love the um i love the artwork which i think we'll touch on a little bit later and then in the end punisher lets the assassin guild go just because i guess he loses one of the members and just as a sign of respect i guess lets them continue to operate with the assumption that he'll eventually take him out later do you think the girl is a teenager Um, because he sleeps with her and i thought that was really creepy yeah i wasn't sure he infiltrates the Chinese, the uh, the gang, by going into the Chinese restaurant or the Japanese restaurant and posing as someone else, you know, uh, you know, gun for hire kind of thing, and that's how he gets in good graces with the the Assassins Guild, 
and then she kind of figures out who he is. So she's playing, they're both playing each other. And it, it looks to me, and I think they have a relationship over the span of like a week or two where, um, you know, he goes out at night and then she's there and then she must do her thing when he's out. And then they kind of meet up back in bed and they're sleeping together. Uh, so yeah. I, I couldn't, she looks very young in a few panels, but then she looks older in another. And I can't imagine Frank would, you know, be sleeping with a teenager. No, well, that's, um, <laughs> that's the Asian look. <laughs> Asian, it is the right. Asian look yes. is a lot younger than they end up yes. being. And, uh, but you know, the boy is younger. That's for definitely sure. the boy's teenager. younger. Well, he has an immaturity about him as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's funny. I like him. Yeah. Yeah. He was a great character. Yeah. I have to assume that she's older. Yep. So this artist, oh Jorge Zafino's fantastic. Jorge, Jorge Zafino, yeah, he is an um, an Argentinian artist, and he didn't do very much work at all for Marvel, just a few things, but his style is so very Argentinian, I guess, or like South American. Um, yeah, he's got a a great gritty style, and if you read some other famous South Af uh, South American books like Alex Sinner or the Eternaut, like you'll, you'll be right at home with the, with this stuff here. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's very gritty. It's very New York. It's very, it, it, it almost looks like in every panel it's raining or it's cold or it's dirty out. You know, it's just, this is a punisher in his element, you know, and unlike earlier in the other episode, we were talking about, you know, him in Kansas city or something like that. He is, this is New York, uh, down to the bone. So is this, do you know, is this story collected in the Punisher Essentials books? You know, I don't know. I have, you know, I've got my first essential here in front of me. Um, and I yeah. do not think it is collected. I'm not sure about number two. Yeah, I don't think that they collected the graphic novels, but I think that this book would yeah. look really great in black and white. Like the colors are fantastic, but there's yeah. so much work with the shadows and the the layout and just the balance of the page and stuff it it's just it's fantastic and uh, I think about all of those crime noir novels that Vertigo put out like yeah. History of Violence and that kind of stuff uh, Road to Perdition and this would fit in so well in that oh absolutely in, in, on that bookshelf there yep yeah but you're right getting back to uh, when the introduction to this I love how there is just no breaks you know it just goes one panel to the next for, you know, 60 pages. It is just a great storyline. There's really no lull in the action. There's a lot of talking, a lot of word balloons, a lot of descriptions, but it doesn't feel like it's, you know, intruding on the story at all. It yeah. just really keeps it moving. But then so. it's also balanced with pages that don't have any text at all. Like if you go to page 404 and 405, which is yeah. numbered page 10 and 11, like those those pages have no dialogue on them. Um, not even sound effects or screaming or anything. Yeah, same with like 443 when he's infiltrating the building to, to go get the bad guys and everything. Yeah, so there's a little bit of screaming because Frank nails a guy in the throat. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but you're right. I think it's just great. And just even um, even the contrast of, uh, you know, if you look at the double-page spread on, or not a double-page spread, but the two, page, two pages on 444 and 445 with, the, the gunshots and the yellow going off uh, with the the um, the flare from the gunpowder uh, and everything else in this is, is a blue background. 
um, it really just sparks. It just the colors just jump right off the page. Yeah, which is fantastic. It is fantastic. Yeah, there's it's a great sense of color. Um, I, it must be. I don't know if this is like some watercolor or something like that, but it's not your standard um, yeah. screen printing or anything like that. The the restoration on this is really nice. Oftentimes with these epic collections, the restoration on the graphic novels because you get the 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 full process color. You can't do the same sort of restoration, like strip away the the black lines and and such, as you would with regular comic art. So the restoration is often not that great, but there's some really really good stuff. Yeah, uh, this one just looks beautiful all the way through. And I I know I know artists uh, don't want to emulate another artist, and you know I I was telling you before we went on, I just got my second uh, or the number three actually. It is Kingpin Rules, the next epic collection that we're going to be talking about uh, in a couple of months. But you wonder if Mike Barron and, um, you know, even uh, Will Protasio, if they up their game at all because of this graphic novel and say, oh, this is what we can do with Frank. You know, this is what we can do with a storyline and uh, and mm. kind of take it from there. Yeah. So, yeah, this one was nice. The, the graphic novels obviously don't have the same sort of restrictions in terms of content that the the regular issues do is definitely mm-hmm. more mature it is definitely yeah. more mature with the sex anyway absolutely yeah and even the even a lot of the violence you you yeah. get more gruesome kind of deaths and uh sometimes yeah. when punishers shooting people you see them like just get shot up which a lot of the times in the other ones it was off screen yeah. or off panel so yeah definitely a highlight of this book i thoroughly yep. enjoyed it yeah and if you can if if people are interested you know i it's definitely worth going out and picking up the uh the original oversized uh graphic novels of these these are wonderful to have so there's there's about six or seven of them out there right um in fact we even talked about it on the uh the previous punisher episode we did when he was down in um new orleans i think that was a right yeah there was uh um, yeah. what was that one called there were three graphic novels Three of them. Yeah, you're there right. Was the ground, yeah. There was the ground. There was the ground zero. The outer space. No operation. What was it called? G force. Yeah. Punisher G force. G force. <laughs> the one in outer yes. space, and the one. Yeah, the one in New Orleans, and then the one with Black Widow. Oh, the Black Widows. 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 Spinning Doomsday's web. Spinning Doomsday's web. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They have Punisher had a lot of graphic novels, and I can even think he of did. like the Return to Big Nothing is a, the most yeah. famous one. And yeah, I have so. another one called Blood on the Moors. Blood on the Moors is great. And yeah, there's there's a there's a bunch of them. So I'm happy to see them collected in this Punisher uh, series. And are there mm-hmm. are, there aren't any in the in Volume Three Kingpin Rules, right? No, it's just Punisher number eleven through twenty five and Annuals number one and two. Okay. Okay. Well, that takes us to the end of this book. There are a lot of bonus pages in this epic collection. There was. Do you want to name out any in particular? Well, what I really liked here is the end of uh, of the this graphic novel when you've got the wonderful uh, illustrations of um, Joe Duffy, Jorge Zafino, and and Julian uh, Mikel. Yep. is it? I think so, Mikel. Yep. And it's done by Jorge Zafino with a little uh, bit of verbiage on you know a little bit of background of what they're what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's really that's really cool to see, and that is included on that is straight out of the. Um, the graphic novel that this page was in the graphic novel as well. Nice. Yeah. So I guess it looks like Jorge and Julie worked together previously on a book that they, that they did 
with Chuck Dixon called Winter World. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. I'll have to go look that up. Yeah. Jorge died at a very early age, I think like 44. He had a Mm. heart attack. So there's not, yeah, his career cut short. And the rest of these bonus features, there are some great articles taken from Marvel Age and taken from the introductions of various different collections. And, uh, um, and there's an afterword from a new one from Ralph Macchio that's specific to this epic collection. And they all have mm-hmm. really good content. They've taken pages from the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, tons of different covers, because these stories have been collected many, many times in various different forms over the years. Um, we've already talked about in the last issue, we talked about all of the artwork, just some yep. amazing uh, like photo stats of Mike Zek's pencils and a lot of the ink pages as well. Uh, so you can compare. It's interesting to compare this work because there's also pages from Punisher, the limited series number five by Mike Vosberg. Right. And those ones are uh, loose pencils instead of full pencils. And uh, you can just see the difference between what that means when you look at look at those two. Right. So that's kind of cool. I just love the Joe Jusco covers. I mean, those are just fantastic. So yeah, um, I've got all the Punisher magazines, by the way, if you're interested. <laughs> oh man, yeah, <laughs> they are just beautiful, you know, and just the artwork inside those are just just great. Very I, cool. I will say, going back to um, one of the things that is in here is the. Uh, the, from the official uh, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe deluxe edition profile of Frank, this is the second profile. There is a profile in the first edition, and in that one, the artwork is done by Frank Miller, uh, and then it is also just his uh, his name, the Punisher, because at that time when it was produced, the official handbook, we did not know Frank's real name. We didn't know he had a name. Um, oh, okay. So it would say like real name. It was unknown. Really? So it's just kind of cool. Yeah. So we'll yeah. when uh, volume one of the epics ever come out, uh, look for that. That would be a uh, an extra in the uh, in the back of that epic collection. Okay. Cool. Yep. Well, Chris, that brings us to the end of this episode, and I thoroughly enjoyed this volume, the early Punisher stuff. Very, very good. I loved it, and I loved had him having. Um, uh, Adam on it was just wonderful so yeah and I look forward to to talking about the next one because there are some good stories there I've kind of looked ahead a little bit and I'm very excited to talk to you about uh, what comes next and so we're not going to make much of a delay we'll probably I'll wait a couple of months and then we'll get Chris back to talk about epic collection number three the kingpin rules yes I'm looking forward to it perfect well Um, Be sure to check out the Collected Comics Library podcast as well to hear more from Chris. And pretty soon we'll also get um, another special, a very special segment that's going to be a part of a hopefully a regular ongoing feature in the Epic Marvel podcast featuring Chris and his Collected Comics Library co-host Andy. Yep, Um, exactly. And that's just a little tease. We'll tell you more about that uh, maybe on the Facebook page. So stay tuned in the coming weeks for more information about that. But I guess that's it for us now. Uh, It was a great time chatting with you over these two episodes, Chris. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great. Thank you for having me on, Curtis. I appreciate it. Awesome. We'll see you next time.